This is a Rooster Teeth production. In May of 1989, a man by the name of Dennis appeared on Las Vegas local news station KLAS with his face darkened to conceal his identity. Dennis told journalist George Knapp that the government had nine flying saucers and it was his job to help reverse engineer them. This story started a media frenzy and was broadcast all over the world, sparking in mainstream interest in Area 51. Claiming he was threatened at gunpoint, Dennis revealed to the public for insurance, his legal name, Bob Lazar. This is Red Web. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we got a banger here. Bob Lazar, uh, famous UFO d- reverse engineerist, uh, <laughs> I guess. Whatever title that would be. I'm Trevor Collins. With me, as always, is Alfredo Diaz. Hello. Hit me with that gut instinct. What do you Hello. feel? Hello. Okay, so I was born uh, during the month of May in 89. So oh my, God. my my ears parked. You're like, in you know, May 1989. I was like, oh, damn. All right. You might be a child of the stars, my friend. But also, like, this is so interesting right off the bat because it's not like, oh, this guy, you know, saw UFOs and, you know, uh, and the government was hiding it. He was hired to reverse engineer. So that's always interesting to me because I love sci-fi films. And whenever they, you know, reverse engineer something in order to better, like, their level of technology is always so interesting. Yeah. What's really interesting about Bob Lazar, too, is, and we're going to get into it, we're going to get all up in here, but his story is so consistent ever since he first came out, ever since he first started laying the groundwork of his claims with all these details and everything, it's never changed. I think maybe outside of a few details, it's never been that he's contradicted himself, his body language is tremendously secure. Uh, like someone that truly believes in what they're saying. And Mm. he's been around the block. He had a famous Netflix documentary. He's been on Joe Rogan. He's been on a bunch of mainstream outlets. And so he's really taken the world by a storm. And and it's, there's a lot here. Like, you know, this isn't your traditional UFO story. Right. There's a lot that you can really sink your teeth into and and start to believe here. So a couple of things, maybe just the man knows how to lie. But two, Mm. I'd be very... I'm very, very eager to see what he says in terms of like what tech we have today that spawned from this reverse engineering of this alien tech, right? Yeah. Because I feel like later on during this episode, you could be like, okay, so he, you know, with everything that he's put out there, he's saying that like, you know, the evolution of touchscreens or some random thing is because of this tech that was reverse engineered and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm excited about that portion. If you know, I don't know. I'm getting ahead of myself here, but we're getting all excited. Yeah. This episode is going to have a slightly different structure because okay. it's more of a it's more of a story, a claim that is being laid out. And so okay. what we're going to do is dive into Bob's claims, the story that he's outlined already. The Red Web Task Force is Ooh, on the, the task case. Force. We're baby. out here. Open the files. Get your notebooks ready. Click in the pen. And mm. we're, we, oh, we're ready Slap to go on the badge and get to work. Uh, ow, ooh, a little deep. Prick me a little bit. Uh, And then after that, we're going to go into the life that he's had since. There's a lot of crazy details in here that I wasn't even aware of. Bob gets up to some crazy stuff ever since uh, coming out with this story. And then we're going to assess 
a couple of main theories here as to what could be going on. But why don't we dive right into the claims? Task force, put your caps on, monocles out, binoculars out. What is it? Magnifying glass. Get all your lenses out, everyone. Mm -hmm. So as a child, Bob Lazar was always interested in science, particularly in jets and rockets. His mother recalls when he was a child hearing a loud explosion. Uh, he, I think he was in his teens for this. And this was when he was first testing out a jet-powered bike. So now we got a teenager on our hands who's making jet-powered vehicles, bicycles. As a teen, no one should have that power, first mm. of all. I, I'd burn myself, let alone uh, make this thing. Look, man, I've I've seen Fantastic Four. This sounds like a young Reed Richards. He's, mm. he's out here. He's going to, any day now, just overload the power grid and create some way to teleport over into another world. <laughs> well, great segue, because as an adult, Lazar moved on to cars, as you would, and he even built a particle accelerator in order to create some of the materials that he needed in order to make it. So yeah, you're, you're pretty much on the money. This dude is oh my God. creating creating materials with a particle accelerator. This, uh, it, he's a fascinating dude. And this is all true, by the way. Lazar maintains at this point, this is where the claims start to enter. Lazar maintains that he has a master's degree from both Caltech and MIT. So coming out of college, he initially worked at Los Alamos National Labs in New Mexico, where he worked on developing nuclear weapon technology and stuff like that. And after this, he interviewed at a company called EG&G, which was a national defense contractor in Las Vegas. And that company says they were more interested in his personal hobbies, like his jet cars and stuff like that, outside of uh, his work resume. And from this, it seems that he got this job at a place known as S4. In fact, he was hired by a lead physicist who was retiring from the US Navy to work at this S4 location, which was 15 miles south of what is now known as Area 51. He and a few other employees were all hired to work at this location and getting there was a really interesting trip. They would have to get into an unmarked bus with their windows all blacked out so they couldn't see where they were going or how they got onto the base, how they got Whoa. down into the bunker, etc. It's it's very in line with a lot of modern Area 51 stories. That's crazy. Also, kind of exciting. <laughs> it is very exciting. Uh, oh, okay. And it's, and it's true. There is a plane uh, that does the very same thing for those who work at this portion of Edwards Air Force Base known as Area 51. The windows are all white, they're all whited out. You can see it take off daily from the Las Vegas International Airport. Wait, really? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, this doesn't mean that aliens are in Area 51, but it, this is how people yeah, get in and out of this location is- uh, Oh, that's yeah. cool. And uh, so it's all very interesting and it does line up with a bunch of other stories. And remember, this is all 1989. So you have to kind of Take some of your preconceived knowledge. We have a lot of knowledge now about what Area 51 supposedly has. This is quite a while ago before a lot of this information. So now, after they take that unmarked bus with the blacked out windows, they get to the facility. And in order to enter, you don't scan a badge or scan your eyes or your fingerprints or anything. They have what Bob Lazar described as a special hand scanning machine. And these machines had metal pins that measured the length of your finger bones, in addition to other details of your hand anatomy, in order to confirm your identity. That's nuts. It's very nuts. And once again, I want to put a pin in this, because we will cycle back to this in a major way. When he first described this device, it was essentially just a story, for better or worse. Or, you know, just for lack of a better comparison. We hadn't seen these things or whatever. 
So he's just describing this very advanced technology for the late 80s, and we only had his word to go on at this point. Immediately after being hired, Lazar was briefed with a 10,000-page document that had information describing the supposed history of Earth and aliens, saying essentially that aliens came to this planet from a planet that orbited a twin binary star system called Zeta Reticuli, and that they are gray. Interesting details. And S4 supposedly housed these nine flying saucers that they had obtained from these aliens. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Lazar's job was to reverse engineer these ships and discover how to utilize the technology within it, uh, unlike cars and rockets that create an outward... Now, now I'm just going to dive into some of the details of how Bob described these crafts, because there's a lot of interesting and specific details he gives. So, unlike, like I said, unlike cars and rockets that have an outward projectile kind of force, uh, whether it's combustion, exhaust, etc., these ships seem to be reactionless. From the human eye, right, from our understanding, it looked right. like they just kind of went. Uh, almost like you would see like a Tesla just kind of goes. It's, it's electric powered straight to the tires and off it goes. Um, but, of course, these are flying craft, and so it makes you wonder how do they get lift, how do they move around, etc. Yeah. Well, in building out his story of these craft, he says that they were powered by an antimatter reactor, which was fueled by Element 115. At the time, it was called an unpentium, and it had yet to be discovered. It only existed in theory at 1989. It never existed hmm. in, in a lab. It was never synthesized. It only existed in theory. At this point in time, I, it's worth mentioning, I believe the periodic table had only reached element 110, I believe. But now, if you look at the uh, periodic table, it goes out to like 118 or 119, something like that. And just to make it really easy to understand what I'm what I'm saying when I say these numbers, oxygen is eight, helium is two, hydrogen is one. It's, it's I think, the number of protons in the atom. Oh, okay, fancy. It's the, it's the atomic number or something <laughs> like that. I, I don't remember much from chemistry, <laughs> okay? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get a lot of comments on that. And forever ago. So, like I'm saying, at this point in time, the only way that humans could have had a stable version of Element 115 is if they got it from these aliens. Because Element 115 is highly reactive and very difficult to stabilize. In fact, to this day, we have been able to synthesize it, and I'll go into that a little bit more in the future Ooh. of this episode here. But it's incredibly reactive and unstable, and so it degrades and decays very quickly. So the only way to get it is to is to have it stabilized, and apparently mm -hmm. the aliens knew how to stabilize it. That's all right. Yeah, it's like a, it's like an old sci-fi thing. I'm into it this. Sci-fi. <laughs> and the, it, what's cool is, and I know there's some like nooks and crannies that might get a little difficult to follow, but what I like the most about his story, and probably what makes it so popular, is that it's kind of more layman's terms. It really is yeah. easy to follow and understand. It's, it's not the hardest to follow. Yeah. I mean, like I said, there's 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 a little bit to it that I'm just like, ooh, okay, mm -hmm. interesting, but. I mean, this is this is a sci-fi flick I can get behind. <laughs> yeah. And he also continues to describe these craft, uh, saying that because it generates its own gravitational wave, that it could prevent visual detection by bending light around it, essentially becoming cloaked or invisible. And that's where Element 115 comes into play, because he's saying that it's able to propel the craft by bending space, pushing away from its own gravitational waves, essentially bending space in front of it and pulling it back together behind it essentially squeezing it through space 
rather than needing to propel itself through physical matter, which what? is what we do with cars. So that's where you have friction, that's why you yeah. have speed limitations, etc. This essentially, and I'm just kind of winging it here from my own understanding, is this mm -hmm. essentially creates a bubble in space. So you are no longer impacted by the physical realm of space and you can kind of just jet along. What's interesting here is that when you look at his sketches of this craft, and we'll put those on Twitter at RedWebPod uh, as usual, but they look very much like a stereotypical alien UFO, right? Like, like basically like round, like round the dinner on plate. The top center. Yeah, I don't actually, I don't know if he has that cockpit piece, but either way, you know, you picture it flying around, laying out horizontally, like I said, like a dinner plate on a table. He describes these as flying, if you were to upturn that 90 degrees, so saying that plate metaphor on the table, just as if you wanted to tip your food onto the table, you're holding your plate upright like a steering wheel. That's how they fly. They fly belly out or oh. belly forward. Yeah, and then that, I, I could see that visually in my head, yeah. Which is really interesting. And, and it's almost like just such a random detail to add because... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's such a random detail that it makes you want to believe it, right? Yeah, it's also just like how... I mean, I, this, is, this is all just made up to me right now, but like, how would that look? Like, what would the thrusters be? Or if there, even, if there even are thrusters, like, how would right, you well, propel at that angle? It's just really weird. It is very weird, especially with the way we... Like you're saying, we propel craft by... You know, sucking in air, combusting it, shooting it out the back. That's how you have, you know, opposite reaction. You move forward in space. That's super non-aerodynamic, but that's that's where he's saying this craft is non-reactionary. It's essentially the engine in the middle using this special element is able to bend space-time around it. I don't know why the orientation is the way that it is or how it benefits the craft in any way. It might, to me, it might make it difficult to see where you're going. But maybe they don't need that. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they can't run into stuff because they're bending space around it. I, it's very interesting thus far. But getting further into the ship a little bit with more details, he's saying the, sh the seats of the ship were very, very small, almost child-sized. In fact, the employees at S4, this location in Area 51, nicknamed these aliens the kids. So now we have the fact that these kids or these aliens are kicking around, living talking to these engineers at S4. And I don't have this in my notes, but firing from the hip here real quick. Uh, I remember in the documentary on Netflix about Bob Lazar, he's telling a story, and I think he retracted this story at some point. I don't recall. But he, he talks about going in on his first day and being told, basically being walked through the facility. And at one point he looks down a hallway and there's a, a set of double doors that are slowly closing just as he's rounding the corner. Oh, this is... This is like a movie. Come on. It's like a movie. He, that's where he gets on. a glimpse right between uh -huh. the doors. And he sees a gentleman talking to what looked like a little like a little creature. What? And of course, this is like his first couple days. He doesn't really know what's going on. But he also saw the little craft behind him. And, and I remember also, and maybe I'm making this up, but I, I thought I also remembered him saying that whoever it was that was guiding him around was basically saying, like, don't look around too much. And, and that's like a red flag to me. But who knows, if, if, you, if this is all to be taken at face value, that makes mm -hmm. sense. Again, I want to be honest, like I don't, I think he might have retracted that statement or that piece of his story, yeah. but that's one mm. of the very few pieces he's gone back on and said, no. Another interesting piece, and again, I might be redundant because I'm getting off of my notes by a long shot here. 
But another interesting piece about him going around the facility was he did have an opportunity with this gentleman to go up to the craft and in some somehow it came to the forefront that the guy was saying, well, go ahead and try to touch the craft um, and see if you can do it. And well, Bob's like, well, easily, it's three feet away. I'll reach out. Yeah. And and I, it was either the engine specifically, right, the, the piece that kind of bends space time or it was the craft itself. And as he reached his hand out, suddenly there was like a force field where he couldn't reach any further closer to the craft. Whoa. Like something was repelling yeah. his hand. And that's where he was like, okay, no, maybe this is real. Maybe there, maybe there is something here because mm -hmm. obviously he's skeptical, you know, especially if they're looking at him for his extracurriculars, right? His jet car, not no, not so much his curriculum uh, or his, uh, sorry, his schooling background or his job background, but more of his, the jet stuff and the, the cool stuff he did on the side and the tinkering. And then he gets hired to reverse engineer like spacecraft. Like he's, he's clearly coming in with like, all right, wh what is this? Yeah. What is going on here? What am I getting myself into? Like, mm -hmm. that's wild, man. Somebody needs to pen the script and just <laughs> make there, this there a, needs movie. To be a movie. Yeah. You're, this you're, is crazy. You're absolutely right. There needs to be a movie about this right or wrong hoax or truth. I would watch it. Okay. So back on my notes. Boom, right in front of me. What I was talking about was, yes, he did see supposedly two scientists talking to something small in a chair, but it was in 2018, actually, that he redacted this claim and thought it must have just been a doll used for testing purposes. Now, that's interesting timing because actually I'm going to go to the Internet right now. Yes, because I believe that's the year that his documentary came out. And so it's either to go back and re-iron out his story and pick up loose ends or or he's telling the truth and he's like listen i want to cut all the crap out of my story and just be truthful here mm -hmm. there's a million ways to split this this is all up to personal conjecture at this point but anyway in that documentary that i i described he discusses this technology and describes it as as if you went back into victorian age and showed them a car you know, it's way beyond their capacity to understand it. You know, you get it, you get how it moves, but you don't know how you would make it, right? There's so many advanced mm -hmm. pieces to the car, especially if you took something like a modern electric car that has a touchscreen tablet in it that's all electrical. You know, this is, it's close. You can understand it, but, right. you, but you can't make it. How they get from a blank table to exactly. that finished product there. Right. And so that that is his comparison to like to basically get us to understand how he felt when he was seeing this technology. It's so astonishing. He says, you know, it, it makes you want to understand it. But clearly, if it were public knowledge, especially all at once, it would disrupt the world as we know it and everything would change. In particular, he mentions the economy, that it would no longer have use for cars, you know, planes, that there would be so many disruptions to modern business and that that's why it didn't just boom, it's out in the open, right? That's where you start to come into the, okay, well, then what are we reverse engineering? How is this trickling into society? And this is kind of where Bob starts to say like, well, many of the advancements we've seen, whether it be TVs getting very thin, I believe he says LEDs in particular, touchscreen cell phones and phones in general getting smaller, computers getting smaller, all stem from this reverse engineering effort. I bet and I can does. I can believe it because <laughs> you know you go back 120 years and we barely barely have cars we don't have space travel we don't have planes not really but that said you know we've been around humans for thousands of years 
there's some technology lost, some tools lost, some rediscovered, etc. That that could be a whole separate episode, probably. Yeah. But on the on the other side, what comes to mind to me is technology builds upon itself. As soon as you get a processor that's better than the last one, you can use the the faster one to make the next one, and it just builds on itself. And that's why technology grows exponentially, and we just happen to be a part of that exponential curve. So, mm-hmm. on one hand, I, I can totally get what his claim is. On the other hand, I don't know. I think it is due to the nature of technology that it explodes. Yeah, right? Like, you just make better stuff and and you're able to just keep pushing the boundaries at that point. Mm -hmm. And also a lot of like, a lot of tech too as well. They'll like, they know like, kind of like the hit, like the limit that they're at, then they'll scale it back and for profit and just kind of like trickle it out. So that way it's not like, you know, here's the biggest and the best and... You know, we'll see you guys in a couple of years. Like they're always trying right. to get those yearly, quarterly like earnings and whatnot. Yeah, and that's that's the capitalism piece here. You know, like on one hand, you don't want to disrupt business so much that a bunch of people lose their jobs, but a bunch of other people gain jobs. It's just a mess. And so, I don't know. So that's what adds a little bit to me of reality to his story. He grounds it so well in life in a way that you can really kind of just understand what he's saying. But continuing back to S4, while working there, Lazar claims that there were, quote, rhythmic shouting and constant threats. And he says it was basically as a form of hypnosis on the employees. What? Yeah. And if I recall, kind of just like, once again, firing from the hip here, I remember him talking about how everyone was kind of isolated from each other because no one person could have the whole vision of what the heck was going on, obviously. Mm -hmm. You know, because then... You know, they could either be compromised, whether it be by an enemy government, or they could go home and make these things on their own. I don't know. They basically had to piecemeal out Uh, all of this tech. Contained. Right. And so that also kind of continues into the next point here a little bit. But the shouting and the threats and stuff, probably keeping people in a certain mental state. So they were always on edge and they were always afraid of talking about this stuff. What a weird way to control people. Yeah, it it feels very much like an authoritarian sort of thing, which I guess I understand given the nature of what is supposedly going on here. Yeah, you also don't want people to like try and sell this information to other countries and whatnot. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's always the fear of that. Right, right. But after six months of working at S4, Lazar decided to leave for personal reasons. He claims that high-ranking directors threatened his life if ever he talked about what he did there. Which is interesting that he is now the most prolific Area 51 expert, I suppose, or has the most prolific story. But this is where, you know, he came forward uh, under the pseudonym Dennis, and, and eventually, in order to basically protect himself, he came out as his actual identity, Bob Lazar, showed his face, and this was his, essentially, insurance. To say, now you know who I am, now you know what I look like, if I disappear overnight, you know I was telling the truth. Yeah. And that's what he's saying. That's his way of kind of like protecting himself. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm assuming here that some of those personal reasons were the threats, obviously. But I also recall him saying that, yeah, it sounds like a really fascinating work environment. You're like, you're working on modern or like future technology. You're working with aliens and stuff. But the fact that they were all isolated, the fact that you could only get a very quick glimpse at what it is you're supposed to reverse engineer and then you are locked away to essentially re- research the crap out of it. Yeah. You know, it, it's fun. But it's not like you're joyriding a UFO. You you get a glimpse at it. 
and then you're off on your own in what they call probably an ice box. And then, you, hey, engineer that now, make, make that, or learn something from it and figure out how to recreate that element, that piece, so we can kind of stair-step our way up to this. Right? I mean, like, regardless of the whole, you know, aliens, UFOs, whatnot, I mean, like, this is what people, this is what people and companies do. Mm -hmm. You know, another company will put out something that's a little bit ahead or, or tweaked in a certain way that it propels them further ahead of said rival company. And it just, you know, I'm sure the rival company gets it, takes it, tries to reverse engineer it, learn from it, and then utilize that to better their product. Absolutely. I was actually, and I'm not going to go too much into detail, but I, I worked as an engineer before doing what we do here. And one of the jobs I had for one, uh, one of the stints of my job was to essentially look at competitors and look at what they were doing and try to reverse engineer those pieces so we can stay in competition. But I digress. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what makes this all in more interesting to me is my background is in this field is in aerospace. But what's interesting here and we'll come back to Bob Lazar claims that when he left, he took some of that stable element 115 with him from the lab. And if you recall, it's very unstable. And so he, it, it kind of necessitates that he would steal it in a piece of alien technology. You're not like pouring some into a Coke bottle and sneaking it out. Like, <laughs> like yeah, I'd be terrified. Absolutely yeah, terrified. Would, I've, I've seen employees get terrible treatment for trying to steal a wrench, dude. Oh, by accident. Really? Yeah, I mean, you get fired for stealing something. I can't imagine what it would be like stealing an undiscovered, stable version of a rare element with alien tech from a secret lab in yeah. the 80s with yeah. the government under that work environment. You're going to get, that's how you wake up at dawn dead. Dude, that sounds like locked away, no key, no trial. Yeah, that's how, you know, you're taken out back at dawn and, you know, say la vie. Mm-hmm. Good night. Good night. End of sentence. Now, as a last point to his claims here, he came forward uh, believing that this information was a crime to the American people and the scientific community as a whole, to the whole world. And that is essentially why he's saying he's coming forward. It's worth noting that he has maintained that he doesn't like the fame. He's not interested in people that don't believe him. He doesn't care who doesn't believe him or whatever. He just thinks that it's a crime to hold this information back from the American people and lie about what is actually going on and what is actually driving a lot of development in the scientific community. That's so interesting, man. That's crazy. That all of this is just backed by like our communication with other beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, like as a human being, it, it, it feels like, you know, you're kind of discrediting the capacity for the human to conquer and succeed true dude i not even, even think about that there's a lot of theories like this that really undermine the ingenuity of human beings like well we couldn't have done that so it must have been human or sorry it must have been aliens or or if you go back to ancient times it must have been gods or ancient aliens or something and yeah and there's a part of me that as an engineer and as somebody who prides myself on trying to learn and grow you know and try new things like it's like well maybe some people are just clever you know yeah but yeah, that's the story. That is the, the story that Bob came out with in 89. That's the story he's maintained to specific detail with great consistency. And as I mentioned before, with uh, strong body language, confident body language. And it's, and it's so interesting as he tells these stories, you know, he doesn't go off into needless detail. 
He doesn't uh, misspeak. And if he ever does misspeak, it feels very conversational where he'll say, well, you know, no, 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 that isn't what happened. It was actually two gentlemen were there and then they came forward. The way he gives it just feels so much like someone is telling the truth, like, like a story that they lived rather than one that they built. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's dive into his life since then. Let's talk about the developments in Bob yeah, Lazar's life since 89 and since this story came out. He's in the public eye. Like, that's so crazy that, like, not some freak accident didn't happen to him or, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, a little wild. There's some interesting things that do happen to him, and some of them I wasn't even aware of or I had forgotten about. Bob is an interesting guy, however you cut this, however you look at this. So, let's dive in. The journalist George Knapp, who I briefly mentioned earlier, he's the same journalist who broke the story on KLAS, all right? And he has since stayed in touch with Lazar and fully believes his story. In fact, KLAS itself continues to report positively on Lazar, substantiating his story and, and everything he's saying. In 1990, so a year later, after leaving his job at S4 and telling his story, Lazar assisted uh, with setting up a brothel in his neighborhood. Now, this is where things start, start to get a little weird. And I'm just painting a vivid image. Weird turn. Very weird turn. Uh, especially with his background and his interests. But yeah, in the next year, he set up a brothel in his neighborhood. And after telling journalist George Knapp about that brothel, Knapp then reported it to the police, and it was raided by the police, and Lazar was arrested for aiding and abetting a prostitution ring. And when testifying what? in court, Lazar told the same story he had told news outlets about his work at Los Alamos and S4 and about flying saucers, to me, that seems a bit like a non sequitur, a bit off topic, but I don't know if he was leveraging that or whatever, but the sentence was then reduced. Again, I'm not saying that it's because of this reason, but maybe the sentence was reduced to pandering and Lazar simply had to com- complete community service and attend psychotherapy. No jail time. But that's so crazy because like on one hand, it's like if he did know stuff and he's you know out there, they would do and try anything to pin him behind bars for as long mm. as possible, right? In their control type type situation. Now you're but, in the task force. Yeah, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm digging in, you know what I mean? The badge is already strapped. You already, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> pricked yourself on the, on the, <laughs> yeah, on the very pointy task force badge that we have, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> I don't know who's sharpening these things. I don't know. Well, we need to slow down on that. But it's just like one of those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, so if they're to back off like that, Right. Granted, saying that this is actually something that's true, that's happening, it's real, then you would assume that he has something important, something tangible. Absolutely. And that is a great point. We're going to cycle back around to that in a couple different ways as we continue to develop the, the story of Bob Lazar since 1989. So moving on, the, 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 the brothel behind him now. And in further attempts to prove his story, Lazar has since undergone hypnosis and various polygraph tests. And according to Lazar and hypnotist Lane Keck, hypnosis can allow a person to access memories. And it was during his session, actually in 89, that same year, that while under hypnosis, he drew a picture that he initially didn't recognize when he came to. But when he flipped the drawing horizontally, he was then able to recognize it as the saucer that he had worked on in S4, and he could then describe every part in great detail. But under hypnosis, he drew this craft, 
And that's how he was able to get his modern drawing of the craft, because obviously it's not like you could draw it while looking at it and then leave the facility. But yeah, so we have that drawing, I believe. And again, we'll post that on our Twitter page. But uh, he has taken four polygraph tests and none of them have showed an attempt to deceive, which is interesting because polygraph tests, as you might know, are not the most reliable method to tell if someone's telling the truth. There can be a lot of false positives and a lot of negative positives, or you know what I mean? Or false positives and true negatives, wh whatever. Yeah, they, they I get can what be you're wrong. <laughs> but, but then also, aren't, I mean, people could train themselves, right? Aren't, aren't people trained? Aren't there ways around tricking those tests? You saying he's like a secret agent? I'm just saying he might have had some way, maybe he knew someone, you know, was working with someone. He slowed his pulse rate? As, yeah, I don't know. Maybe he forced himself to flatline. I've, I've seen a lot of movies, okay? People trick those tests <laughs> all the time in the movie. Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's entirely possible. It might be possible. But moving on, you know, he's, he's passed these four tests with flying colors. He's done hypnosis where his story maintained itself, etc. Now, currently, Lazar owns and operates a supply company called United Nuclear Scientific Equipment. And he sells at this company scientific materials and chemicals, and wouldn't you know it, as well as fireworks. He's like the crazy guy down the highway who's always got the fireworks sign up, selling yeah. illegal fireworks or whatever. This guy's doing everything. This guy is like, yeah, a little bit of everything. Doing everything into everything, apparently. He's a renaissance man of weird, weird stuff. Hey everyone, your friendly neighborhood mystery enthusiast Trevor here, just parting the seas of the mystery to do a couple of housekeeping notes. As I'd like to, to acknowledge, thank you all so much for the reviews of the podcast and for spreading the love. You know, there's a lot of mystery enthusiasts out there, and if you have a friend that likes this podcast or you think would like this podcast, letting them know is the best way to support this show, and so we appreciate you. Another way to do that is we have merch, as I've discussed before in the past. You know, you've got a shirt with a little bit of a logo on the pocket area, as well as a mug. So if you want to sip on the hot cocoa, now's the time of year to do it, you know? But outside of that, we got a couple sponsors that I want to thank. So let's go ahead and just dive into it. This episode of Red Web is sponsored by HelloFresh. Get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. HelloFresh offers convenient, no-contact delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family, and the recipes are easy to follow with simple steps and pictures to guide you along the way. HelloFresh is the first global carbon-neutral meal kit company, and by skipping the grocery store and using HelloFresh, you are reducing your food waste by at least 25%. Easily change your delivery days or meal plan preferences and skip a week whenever you want. Whenever you need to, right on the app, keep your fridge stocked by adding extra meals and additional proteins, quick meals like breakfast on the go or their 10-minute lunches, and even desserts to satisfy that sweet tooth of yours. I know I have a sweet tooth, but my favorite meal that I like to prepare with them is the garlic herb tortelloni. It's very delicious. It makes it look like I'm a home chef. I impress my girlfriend with it, and it tastes really good, too. And I, I really enjoy how simple they make it. Everything is right there for you, pre-portioned. You got all the veggies are there. You got all the everything you could want, okay? It's all packaged up. You got the pictures to follow, very distinct recipe steps, and they kind of coach you through it so you're doing it efficiently, too, and not wasting a bunch of dishes. I really appreciate it. 
Go to HelloFresh.com slash RedWeb80 and use code RedWeb80 to get $80 off, including free shipping. That's $80 off, including free shipping by going to HelloFresh.com slash R-E-D-W-E-B-80 and use code RedWeb80. Now with that aside, thank you very much, sponsors. Let's dip our toes back into the mystery. In 2003, that's when his business was raided by police and federal agents, and sales documents were taken and examined, finding that Lazar and his wife had broken the law, having shipped illegal chemicals across state lines. They pleaded guilty in 2006 for violating the Federal Hazardous Substances Act, and in 2007, they were again charged for selling illegal chemicals and for selling illegal fireworks. In 2017 now, United Nuclear was again raided by the FBI, but for unknown reasons at the time. Lazar claimed that they were looking for more of his purchase history with uh, his various clients, but it's also rumored by Lazar and others that they, you know, that they were looking for Element 115, that they've been tracking him, listening to his phone uh, ever since he stole that from S4. And he maintains that, I believe, to this day. I bet he does. And he does. <laughs> like at this point, you're in too deep. You guys just mm-hmm. stick to your story. But going back to all that, this guy is either really stupid or he's just, you know, maybe he has something, like I said, going back to just he has something that he's using to blackmail the government. So he's just like, whatever. I'll try and see right. what I can get away with. I'm sure I'm sure his local police is just like, ah, I'm tired of dealing with you, man. Stop roping us in yeah. your, your confounded stories. But Here's where this particular raid gets even more interesting. Okay, so later it was revealed that the FBI was actually there doing that raid in 2017 as part of a murder investigation. What? Yeah, it was found. Now, this is more of an investigation. Okay, this doesn't necessarily implicate our boy Lazar, but it was found that there was a victim that had thallium in their system. And this particular chemical is known as the poisoner's poison that it's rare and it's difficult to detect. And essentially, if you know your poisons and you're trying to kill somebody, this is your very difficult to detect poison. Didn't stop the FBI from figuring it out and trying to trace it down to say, hey, we've got this guy on our radar. He's selling all sorts of chemicals. Let's see if if he sold thallium to anybody, whether he knew he did it, whether he was the one who did it himself, the murder. Um, But essentially, yeah, it's part of an investigation. Doesn't necessarily implicate Bob. Michigan State Police believed that the victim may have purchased it, like I said, from United Nuclear. They had also obtained a search warrant for Lazar's home, but that raid never happened. Uh, so, But they had the ability to go busting into his home if they wanted to. And that's kind of the quick rundown on Bob Lazar's life since his story came out. A lot of twists and turns, a lot of unique things. Like I totally forgot about the whole brothel thing. A fascinating guy. A lot of stuff that I just wasn't expecting. You know what I mean? I thought that this guy would be chased around all his life, right? For for stuff that he knows. But he's out here just breaking rules and stuff. Like, I don't... Just breaking rules, man. I don't know if I can trust a guy like this. Also, like, uh, maybe it just got past me. But where's where's the, I don't know, anything concrete? Well, that's what we're going to dive into in these theories. So, there are... A few things that go both ways. And like I said, we'll, we'll dive more in there in the theory section, which we're about to dive into. But 
I mean, like we're talking about a guy who in his teens was making jet powered bikes and then was making jet powered cars. This is a guy who's either off his dang rocker yeah. or he's just brilliant. And and so that either way, that doesn't say anything about whether he's telling the truth or not. He could be off his rocker and making the wildest story or he could be a genius and also developing a story. But all that is to say is like the reason why this is so compelling and I'll rehash it one last time is is it really all comes back to how well the general populace can understand it and that it provides it spackles in details that other UFO stories never even try to attempt. Right. I was abducted by a UFO and they probed me and dropped me off on the roof of Wendy's like that's all we get, <laughs> you know, from those people. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so random. Okay, all right. You hit me with the random. All right, uh-huh. you hit me with the random. It, it, I didn't expect it. it came it out of nowhere. It, I didn't expect it. This guy I got is got. a lunatic. <laughs> but what does that say to you? Before we dip into the theories, how is your gut feeling now? Especially, especially with these unknown twists and turns that kind of came along the way. I don't. I just can't. I can't trust this man. This man's doing mm. all kinds of illegal stuff. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe he's just good at lying. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's hard to. I don't know. It's hard to put faith or trust in someone that's doing illegal things, right? right. And, and constantly. Uh, okay. Maybe. Maybe. I, oh God. Maybe I've been into so many conspiracies now. But <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm melting your brain. Maybe he didn't do any of this stuff. Maybe he's just being set up for this stuff, and they're trying to Whoa. get him. They're trying to just, uh, you know, ruin his credibility. Maybe they're trying to get people like me to sit here and go, "Yeah, he, I can't Whoa. trust this man. Look at all these fishy stuff that he's doing, and he's not even doing any of that stuff. Is the government setting him up? I don't know. Fredo, this, are we a cog in the wheel? This show has messed with my head. Mm, but you're going to be a great viewer when you go to see the movie. You're going to be so engaged. You're going to know I know this, that, and the other when yeah, this comes out. you're not wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's, let's take a look at the theories. And as with some of the topics that we covered, there is essentially a simple breakdown, right? There is the macro level theory that Bob is simply lying. But then on the other hand, we have the other theory that he's telling the truth. We're going to dive into both of those. Uh, breaking it down into kind of substantiating pieces of evidence. But then we have a third theory that's going to be interesting. And uh, I'll wait to kind of crack into that one because it does touch a little bit on what you were just talking about. So why don't we dive into theory one, that Bob Lazar is lying about his story for whatever reason. Essentially and simply put, there is no evidence that comes along with his claims. He talks a lot of game, but he doesn't bring a lot of material good, yeah. right? No photographs, no recordings, no hard evidence to say, yes, you are telling the truth with this claim. Give me something. Yeah, and but I do want to put a pin in this because there is a caveat to this. Uh, and I'm going to address it in the next theory a little bit more. But this is as the story's coming out. This is as he's telling the story, he's not providing evidence, but that kind of has changed over the years. But again, I'll get into that. Uh, but moving on to the next major piece that kind of substantiates that this might be a lie. Both the universities that he claims to have attended, right, MIT and Caltech, have no record of his attendance. George Knapp, the journalist who originally interviewed him in 1989, claims that when trying to verify his attendance, he had, Lazar, had friends that said, hey, yeah, yeah, I drove him back and forth from Caltech. I drove him there and I picked him up. But the schools are saying, 
Yeah, I don't know. We have no record of a Robert Lazar or a Bob Lazar. In fact, looking at Los Alamos, the, the company that he supposedly worked at in, I believe, 1982-ish, in response to inquiries about his employment there, they claimed to have no record of a Robert Lazar either, which is uh, interesting. Mm. So now we got a man with no past. What is he, the Joker? Mm. But again, we're going to put a pin in this because we're going we're gonna to cycle back around to it. We're only looking at one theory right now. We still have a whole other side of the story, but that's the way the, the situation's landed right now. Both his universities and this company, I have no idea who that guy is. Now, the next major point that might say, hey, I think this guy's lying, is that many of his story elements, especially the scientific pieces, seem to be plucked from existing scientific theories. I'll explain. So element 115, for example, while it wasn't synthesized, it did exist in theory, which is typically how elements are discovered in theory and then eventually physically or as they would be currently synthesized in a lab. So element 115 always existed in theory before Lazar described it and we knew its properties before it was synthesized in 2003. Because, you know, you can look at the trends in elements, you can look mm -hmm. at the number of protons and neutrons, and from that, the scientific community is able to predict various features of elements uh, before they've been synthesized. And in its current state, Moscovium, as it's currently known, can only exist for a few seconds because it's so unstable. So that kind of builds on the fact that, you know, the aliens were able to stabilize it, that's part of the story he was talking about, etc. But, but those are known facts that were around uh, at the time of him coming up with this story. Another piece is that Einstein himself actually hypothesized and described gravitational waves as far back as 1916, long before Lazar activated these gravitational waves to substantiate his story. And to build on this claim even more, some debunkers have said that the knowledge Lazar had of element 115 and gravitational waves is information that he could have found in scientific textbooks, essentially. Yeah. Big old con artist we got going on here. He absolutely is starting to sound like a little bit of smelling like a con artist, my friend. And to build on that amazing segue, as always, Fredo, the next major kind of topic to substantiate that this might, you know, this dude might be lying, is that many believe, or at least some believe, that Lazar is a profiteer. So what does he have, what does he stand to gain from a story like this? Well, Lazar could have made money from the interviews, simply put. He also sells his drawings, these supposed videos of proof, uh, but also that his current business likely attracts more buyers specifically because of the story that he's got, right? If you're looking for chemical compounds, or maybe you're like, I'm gonna go buy fireworks from the UFO guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, he does now stand to gain from it. Now, I will say, counter to this theory a little bit, uh, but just my own personal opinion here, the company wasn't made for many years. It was, I think, upwards of 14 years later, maybe less. I don't know exactly. Oh. Christian, maybe you know when that company was made or, or when he started that company with his wife. United Nuclear was founded in 1998. Okay, so a little sooner than I thought, but still nine years after his story, yeah, 1998. It's been some time. Mm -hmm. So if he was trying to make a buck, he took a long time doing it. Yeah, and so that kind of like, that's my own personal conjecture here that kind of goes counter to this point. Remember I said Lazar kind of hates the attention? Well, 
He's not really looking for fame, he says, but critics of him say that, well, you're doing a lot of interviews for someone that hates attention, even recently being on Joe Rogan's podcast, which is essentially the biggest podcast at present day. And again, I don't mean to kind of argue against the theory as we develop it here, but on one hand, he has been claiming that it's a crime to withhold this information from the American people and the scientific community. And on the other hand, yeah, you say you hate attention, yet you're on probably right. the biggest platform, Netflix, Joe Rogan's podcast, and many others. You know, here making, making moves. Yeah. So that all kind of goes to substantiate the fact that maybe he's got some money to make here. But uh, the last major piece here to kind of fall under the Bob Lazar is lying camp. There are conspiracy theorists who wonder if Lazar is a government pawn who exists to spread misinformation. Now, this doesn't necessarily Ooh. say he's lying or whatever, but they're saying that perhaps his story is more outlandish than the real truth is. So that either A, the truth doesn't shock us as much or B, that it's to distract us from the truth. Yeah. Basically say, hey, look over here while we're over here, kind of a magician's sleight of hand. But regardless of that, he's got us talking about it right now. So maybe, you know, maybe we're falling right into his hands. Maybe, what is he really cooking up? Red Web Task Force back in the saddle <laughs> going after Bob Lazar. Time to blow this case wide open. Yeah, we're going to blow this. This Show me those little kids, those little aliens that you call kids. <laughs> call them kids too they're probably ancient beings way older than we are and it's like look at these little alien kids <laughs> you gotta show some respect you don't go up to your grandpa and say like just because he's short you don't go hey little kid like <laughs> come on but anyway i don't know if they can even articulate an american uh, you know english or a human right. language but anyway a lot of things fall into the camp of him not telling the truth that this is all a lie that this is fabricated but as you'll come to see there's a lot of counterpoints that go under the opposite camp that says, under theory two, this man's telling the truth and he's got a story to tell. So again, his details never change. His body language is that of someone who truly believes what they are saying. And because some of his claims have come to fruition, it could tell that maybe he's telling the truth. And now this is where I cycle back to the, to the evidence. Again, he never came forward with evidence, but some of the pieces of his story right, and I'll get to a specific example in a second, have since come to pass, right? So we talked about those special hand scanners that he said S4 had in order to verify your identity beyond simply fingerprint scanning or face scanning or whatever. It measured the bones and whatever of your hands. Well, it was revealed, declassified even, in 2018 that the government had used biometric hand scanners in the 80s, just as Lazar had described, down to how they looked. Now, this is really what helps substantiate his story beyond his mannerisms and body language. You know, there's a couple things like this that he's like, you've gone into great detail, almost unnecessary detail to describe this thing, and then it shows up. It's declassified, so it's real. So he's either very lucky, very smart, or telling the truth. Another thing is he's predicted how gravitational waves functioned and that they could be measured. And it wasn't until 2015 that gravitational waves were in fact first measured by the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory. And so either, again, this guy is either brilliant, insane, or telling the truth. Now, cycling back to element 115, there's a couple of notes that I had that kind of go to say maybe he's not telling the truth, but in 2003, Moscovium, as element 15 is currently known today, 
was synthesized for the first time and has been in existence only for fractions of seconds at a time. And it's extremely radioactive, it's extremely heavy, uh, but Lazar had supposedly predicted this element to great detail, more than perhaps was supposedly known at the time. And so you could really split hairs here and see a, a few reasons around Chemical 115 that might indicate that he's lying, but now there's a couple reasons that indicate that he might actually be telling the truth here. Now I'm gonna read a couple things, as, I'm just gonna read as my notes have them because it gets a little jargony. We'll cycle back around if you have any questions, okay. So diving into how Lazar predicted this element and its details accurately, but this is according to scientist Jacqueline Gates of the Heavy Elements Group in the Nuclear Science Division of Berkeley Labs. So she had this to say in response to questions about element 115. Moscovium is near a predicted island of stability where some super heavy nuclei might have much longer lifetimes. So instead of living for less than a second, they could exist for minutes, days, or even years. So in theory, for a long time, we knew 115 existed. Sure, maybe he stole that information, but the fact that he was able to basically say, no, there is a place that we can get to where 115 can be stable. Yeah. That's basically what's happening here. He predicted that there is a state of stability that can be achieved. And so that was, again, a wild guess, or this guy knew something. Oh, man. This whole entire story rides a very fine line. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's really not like we get a little bit that steers one way, then a little bit that steers it the other way. And it's, right. just, it's just perfectly in the middle. And this next piece is really where it starts to blow things up. Like it, it really starts to shake my, rattle my my resolve on what I believe here. Um, you know, you mentioned a, a couple things about like the government and cover up and stuff, but now regarding Los Alamos and by proxy, the schools that all said they have no record of Lazar. Well, turns out there was record of a Robert Lazar, whether it was him or not is to be determined, but there was a Robert Lazar listed in the company phone directory. And in the article written on Lazar about his 200 mile an hour jet car back in 1982 in the Santa Fe New Mexican, that article mentions his employment at Los Alamos. This is seven years before his story came out. And Lazar has stated that Los Alamos actually asked for this article to be published because of his popularity at the lab and in the city for being called the jet car guy. And so now you have to start asking yourself, who got to Los Alamos, who got to the schools, or why are they yeah. trying to dissociate themselves from this guy? Is it his crazy story? Is the government stepping in to cover it up? Uh. Is it a lie that, why is he saying he's at Los Alamos seven years beforehand in an article way before the start. It gets nuts. It, that's really where it makes it hard to know which way to believe. Yeah, when you were talking about the school earlier, just really just kind of brushing their shoulders off of mm -hmm. um, the whole situation. I sat there and I went, man, wouldn't that be wild if the government was involved? <laughs> yeah. And here we are. <laughs> this is a theory. And the thing about universities especially during that time too like when he was of college age it's all paper trails man that can get lost that can get burned that could be forgotten there's no electronic records that basically like clickety clack i looked it up yes he was here so it's all to be taken with a grain of salt to further substantiate that this might be a 
true story. We talk about how the government has been studying UFOs for a while. Uh, we talked about it a little bit in Skinwalker Ranch. Well, the program that funded the studies going on at Skinwalker Ranch is in play here because the Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program was created by the Defense Intelligence Agency is out here studying UFOs factually. That is something that they're actually doing. And if Lazar is saying that, hey, I was reverse engineering and uh, UFOs, you know, it, it might not be wrong. The government is is actually in various ways studying the phenomena of UFOs. And it's also worth noting um, that there are many people, some of them esteemed people in the global community, I would say, in various communities um, that believe Lazar. George Knapp is one of those individuals. He's an award-winning journalist, and he's supported Lazar from the beginning. Again, he was the one that broke the story in the first place. But everybody in his family, his wife, his mother, his friends, his neighbors, all believe him. And these are people that would know him the best, or be biased. But even one of the people that administered a polygraph test on Lazar, named Terry Tavernetti, became a UFO believer because of his experiences and because of that polygraph test. So that's interesting. He's got a convert there. He joined He joined the cult, perhaps, after uh, administering the polygraph test. This man's all over the place. <laughs> I just like I was, the civil... What's going on? What? What is... I don't know. You know what I mean? It, it's, that's, that's why we're it's, talking about it, man. It's just so hard to know which way this goes. It's so perfectly balanced down the middle. <laughs> it, does, it doesn't... It doesn't I can skew it. Swerve so hard into one way or the other way, mm -hmm. or at least yeah, from what I'm being told right now. But uh, this is wild, man. You well, I, listen, this isn't going to help, but I could skew it in a third direction. Oh God, oh God. a third direction? I thought you were going to skew it one way or the other. Now you're talking about a whole <laughs> other direction. About to blow my mind. Okay, enter theory number three. Now this is kind of where we start to go a little bit more conspiracy, right? Truth or not, this theory doesn't really lend itself to uh, him telling the truth or him not telling the truth. I think it leans a little bit more to the truth side, but either way, this theory purports that the government is trying to suppress the information that Bob is trying to share. So this is where the government conspiracy comes in. This is where the cover-up comes in, etc., etc. So some conspiracy theorists suggest that based on his history with raids, that Lazar is still being watched because of the information that he revealed. Lazar has said on many occasions that he has been phone tapped, wiretapped, that they're always looking at him, they're always watching him, that these raids are more of an excuse to get into his house and into his business. Uh. And he's also been, and I, again, this is me firing from the hip, and this is my conjecture, my, my memory of his story, but I also want to say that some of these crimes that he supposedly committed were made up that he was basically framed in a way that he couldn't escape them. So you might as well say, yeah, 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 I did it. Sure, I plead right. guilty. Because the government essentially just wanted a reason to raid him, to get into his company, his business, his house, whatever, to look for this element 115 or any other activities to essentially punish him or keep an eye on him. Yeah, keep breathing down his back, essentially. Yes. Yeah. He also continues to claim that he has been threatened ever since he came forward, which honestly was something this big. Yeah, of course. Whether you were telling the truth or not, I feel like, yeah, of you're going to be threatened. 100%. That's dangerous stuff you're talking about. Oh, absolutely. About here. To further build on the idea that this is a government cover up in some way is the fact that the general public, 
and I would, I think most people would agree that if we had contact with aliens or alien technology or such an advanced society as something that Bob is talking about here, and if it just suddenly landed in our laps, it would upend the world as we know it. Everything would change and it would be unpredictable what could happen next. It could be, yeah. it could be amazing. It could be terrible. It could be anywhere in between. And that is the motivation here behind some of this theory is, well, the government's trying to step in to mitigate that, trickle out this technology so you can either control it for profit or for warfare, or so you just don't have mass chaos. Ooh, did you even think about the not having mass chaos like point of view? Yeah, you just yeah. slowly trickle it out so it just makes sense to the masses. Mm-hmm. Didn't think about that. Every generation now is so distinctly different from the one before. And we're all kind of just going, yeah, I mean, that's just how it is. Yeah, that's just technology advancing itself. Yeah, but you, even like 150 years ago plus, all the generations were just kind of like, you're grooving, man. You live life, you do your thing, you move on, and, and that's and that's the pattern. We all have very similar lives. There's It doesn't mean inventions and technology wasn't advancing in ways, but, you know, not at the breakneck pace to the point where, you know, someone being born today is going to have a difficult time relating to somebody born in the 80s, you know? Right. But I digress. I have a note here, too, and I kind of already hit on this, but... I want to go back to it, you know, back in this day when he was in college, degrees were essentially just paper. They weren't all stored away in, you know, hi-fi computer systems where you could pull things up at a, at a blink. Everything was paper trail and everything. So it's either easy to cover up, hide, burn, throw away, or to pressure an organization and an educational institution, a company, whoever, to say, disassociate from this individual don't substantiate his story. Like, we'll or do something for else. you to help you, just for, you know, to help us, or mm -hmm. just scare people away. I mean, it's Caltech and MIT. These are very the scientific institutions. They, they're, they're colleges at the forefront of what they do, so there is absolutely a large relationship between cutting-edge science, the government, these these institutions. So there, yeah, so there's a relationship to maintain. So I, I can believe that. What's interesting here, too, Cycling back to Terry Tavernetti, the one who gave one of the polygraph tests, right? They were told, apparently, that a government agency had contacted their employer wondering why they would get involved with Lazar. He even claims that someone tried to steal the results of his polygraph test with Lazar, which is very strange. Obviously, hmm. this is kind of through the grapevine now. This is yeah. something that they're being told happened, so there's no real proof here but if you take it at face value that is a very big red flag you run a polygraph test on this individual the government steps forward saying why are you looking into this stop. yeah yeah stop what you're doing give us the results Ooh, mm. you wouldn't want that no 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 and then one last thing kind of in this camp there is a theory on reddit that someone posted that suggests that perhaps Bob Lazar was recruited to work at Area 51 specifically because he did lie, in fact, about his education. And so that if he ever left or if he ever was fired or whatever, if he left for whatever reason, they could easily discredit him afterwards in order to basically knock down whatever truth he could tell. Yeah, but like they, you know, they've probably got like hundreds of people. Maybe they cherry pick people. Remember? So like, this, this is where I cycle like, all the way back to the beginning where the interview focused on his extracurriculars, not so much on his knowledge, his educational background, but yeah. on the stuff he did on the side, the jet bike, the jet powered car, 
that stuff. And so that's where this comes back to fruition. Like, hey, maybe they wanted people that were smart, but had that's crazy elements of like that they could blackmail with. I, I don't know. This is crazy to like sit there and be like, all right, we need a bunch of people who we can just like easily discredit. Mm hmm. Like, oh, because man. having to pair that up with people who are actually qualifying to do this level of like, you know, tech and discuss, you know, and discovery like that's, you know, not a handful of people, I would assume not many. Mm hmm. Yeah, I man, I don't know that that little piece, that's. It could be cherry picking, you know, pieces of this story and making an interesting theory, but it does sound compelling. That's the problem. That's the problem with Bob Lazar is that there's a lot of loose ends. There's a lot of things that make sense. A lot, of things, but it's still at the end of the day, there there was literally like nothing concrete that like he came out and was just like, here's this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, outside of a few pieces of his story materializing in truth, right? Yeah. Outside of a couple, maybe you could call them coincidences if you if you want, but outside of a couple of those things, yes, it is just a convincing story that it, that is consistent, Oof. and that's that's why it's been so sticky. There's a couple of things that people hang their hat on, and and it stays around for it. It's a very compelling UFO based story. It goes way deeper, way further than anybody else has in this arena. But yeah, that's that's that. I, I want to do the old thing we did a couple episodes ago where we kind of ranked it from one to ten, ten being the most convincing, most real, and one being this is hooey, this is a hoax, uh, I don't believe it. Now, obviously, we have this other third element here on this particular one where we kind of have like, well, maybe it's just a cover-up sort of situation happening. But on that scale of believe it or not, where do you lie, do you think? This one's a five for me. You got a five? Dang, okay. It's like right down the middle. Heavy maybe. Like I'm not I'm not swayed one way or the other at all. I'm gonna price this right you at a four and a half. <laughs> I mean, I, I do get behind like uh maybe I I, I can be can I can convince myself to be like a four or maybe even yeah. a three, but like gut instincts, I was like, I'm just right down the middle, man. Like, absolutely. Like the pragmatic engineer, you know, in me can poke all the holes I want. And I, and I could, yeah, I could swing myself down to a four, but it's still really interesting. Honestly, I could flex myself up to probably like a six because the deeper you look at this, the more you look at it, he might just be a smooth talker, baby. But That's like, saying, I can, I can flex up to a six on this one. I, I, I'll stay with you on a five. It's, it's a difficult one. And there's a lot being drawn on, uh, a lot of reality being drawn on a lot of coincidences coming out, but, but also a lot of like, what weird yeah. turns that yeah. kind of undermine what's happening. Like, yeah. And maybe that was the whole point. Maybe. Maybe that's what the government wanted. Yeah. A flawed character. Steer us in one direction or another. Man, now I don't even know if we just like <laughs> if we assisted in 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 the cover up or the proliferation of misinformation. Man, we're going to be on so many lists that we don't want to be on. <laughs> this is because. the end of the movie where you have a satellite image that zooms way out and then you see the satellite in space going and it's like zoomed in on our location listening to this podcast as we recorded. It's like, ugh. I'm saying, man, we're we're on some. Sh mm. 
Some very bad lists that we probably don't want. No, to we're not on no bad lists. We're we're fine. We're just we're I mean, enthusiasts. Like, we discuss. We entertain. We we put some smiles on some. Yeah, face. but I mean, still, like we're just on the you know, just like you know, keep keep an eye out. Sometimes, yeah, but sometimes there's some rough chuckles. They but, mention you know. they mention this person's name. Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. Researching for this show has certainly put us on some sort of like uh, gray area watch list, perhaps. <laughs> But anyway, that concludes the files. Close your manila folders, Red Web Task Force. That is Bob Lazar. Would love to hear your thoughts in the various ways that you guys can reach out to us, whether it's on Twitter at RedWebPod or at RoosterTeeth.com, where you can also listen to us and provide comments. Or another way to do it is on iTunes with reviews. But whether you listen to us on Spotify or elsewhere, uh, we appreciate you. Thank you for listening each and every week. We got another mystery every week. And, uh, and if you want to help out the show, let a friend know. That's the best way to help us out. Word of mouth. Uh, but all right. I'll see you guys next week. Fredo, we'll see you next week. Another mystery is on Ooh-wee. the way. Catch you then. Catch you then.